Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, where we aim to excite and inspire you about how technology will shape our profession's future. I'm your host, James Meads, and I worked in corporate procurement for 16 years before starting my own business as a content creator and consultant in the procurement technology space. I'm deeply convinced that procurement must become less technocratic and embrace the entrepreneurial spirit and creativity if we're ever going to shake off our image of being a process-obsessed, box-ticking function. You definitely won't find vanilla content on here, and we're not afraid to tackle some controversial topics and tell it like it really is. So if that's your thing, now let's jump right into this week's episode. Yes, hello, and a very warm welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast. We are the official podcast of procurementsoftware.site, where you can search, filter, analyze, and look up over 330 procurement software solutions uh, in less time than it takes you to boil an egg. We don't have any complicated solution maps. We don't charge you a fortune to access our data. It's all there on our website that you can search completely free because at the end of the day, we want to help procurement professionals like yourselves to really be able to find and discover the breadth of the market of solutions out there. There's lots of great tech that really just no one knows about. And that's what we're all about. And indeed, what this podcast is all about. And my guest today is from the generative AI space. And we're going to have a conversation about how he came from that industry and really identified a problem that was out there in the procurement space, despite not really having much background or knowledge of what procurement did up until that point. So Four Street is a supplier search and intelligence platform, and I'm joined today by their co-founder and CEO, David Doyle. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for having me. So David... You're a tech guy, as we as we as we spoke about in the past, rather than a procurement guy, and uh, and I'm hoping we can throw the analogy that you used in one of the prep calls that we had into this interview that actually made me spit out my walk, laugh out loud when you compared procurement to uh, a certain football team. We'll keep listening and we'll throw that one in a little bit later. But first of all, just maybe give everyone a bit of a background just to contextualize how you came from this space and and how you landed in essentially now being a, a founder of a procurement tech company. Yes, it's it's not been a straightforward journey. Um, so key thing to, for your listeners to understand is I'm fairly old. I um, When I started kind of working with tech, it was actually in the MRP space, which further evolved into ERP space. Um, so I was doing lots of kind of... Um, multifunctional systems implementations. I was never particularly close to the procurement space. I was in finance quite a lot, but, but ended up sort of project managing those, those jobs. And I got more and more interested in the analytics space. So I started to, you know, as, as the sort of early versions of data warehouses started to come out and, um, you know, the use of data to solve business problems became more and more important in, in business. I sort of jumped onto that train and eventually became sort of a specialist in data analytics. And uh, as I sort of thought about more and more the applications of those things, and typically thinking about the application within an organization, how to use an organization's data. But one of the things that happened latterly was actually started to realize just how much information was outside the enterprise and how, you know, and the, the rate of growth of that information. So I started to think about how you might uh, utilize that information for the benefit of companies. And to some extent, the, the genesis of Fourth Street was really about understanding that. Um, there's a mindset about all the knowledge 
being within an organization was, was just breaking down effectively. And there was a very specific problem we were looking at at the time. We were looking at sort of the, the technology market research uh, industry and thinking it feels a little bit sort of, it doesn't feel quite right. Everyone's a little bit uncomfortable. It can be not naming names, a pay-to-play model. You have to do a lot of PR to get to be noticed as a technology company in this space. And so we thought there's two things we can apply to this, one of which is independence, like a a genuinely independent perspective. So we work for the buyers, not the sellers exclusively. And then the second one was actually about the use, how data really can overcome the cognitive constraints, the idea that one individual can know everything there is to do about a technology category. We just just felt it was broken. There were too many new technology types. If you, even in the, the procurement space, so many different types of technology application. How could one consultant or expert really track all of those? And so that's a data analytics opportunity. And that, that, you know, that was a 30-year journey that goes to the genesis of, of forestry ultimately. So we started there saying, right, technology market research looks like something, uh, an industry that needs to be um, fixed. And then we sort of stumbled sort of sideways into procurement by realizing we built this sort of B2B search capability. And there was no reason it could be pointed at things which were non-technology. So if you wanted to find any type of uh, supplier or vendor or understand a sort of a category capability, it was, it was really well suited to that task. And, and so when we talk about stumbling into procurement, that was the journey almost. It sort of, it turns out we got this really sort of capable technology. We hadn't thought to focus it on this problem, but as it turns out, it's actually a very valuable application. Yeah, and... You mentioned uh, there's a phrase that you mentioned as well when we were when we were prepping this that good solutions are always a bundle of technologies. And if we bear in mind that there are other supplier scouting tools out there that do certain aspects of of what Four Street does, what 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 do you mean by that? Well, the um, the good thing about my experience is I'm not a deep technologist. I've always been sort of focused on a. A, you know, a client outcome, a good delivery. And, and so there's a sort of, I coined the phrase, don't let the perfect be the enemy, the good. And, and typically what you find is with people are sort of deep technology specialists, they often want to sort of close the last 20% of a problem by just, you know, refining the algorithm down to sort of the to perfection. But the last 20% is, an, is a journey that almost never ends, right? So you think about, well, are there smarter ways to to do this by combining different types of approaches or actually just putting humans into the process at a point where they can add the most value. And so when we approached the problem of doing something with a massive amounts of data, we always said, well, let's think about a combination of, of, of approaches. So there isn't, there isn't a perfect algorithm that can find the answer to your problem, but there are, there are combinations or ensembles of technology that can take you 80% of that journey really quickly. And that's the design principle that sits behind the way we approach it, which is um, let's make it effective. Let's not convince ourselves that just somehow by being very clever and working amongst ourselves we'll come up with a perfect solution and that's that's an approach I think has been consistent throughout certainly my working life which is you know you're going to end up with combinations of technology they're going to give you results if you try and do everything with a single bullet and generative AI I think is going to be a really good example of this it'll be brilliant at some things but not so good at others and so you might want to combine it with other types of tech to get to the outcome that you want. Don't think it's the answer to everything because I've never seen one technology that really is the answer to everything. I, I love that because especially now with, with ChatGPT, everyone is seemingly using it for everything. And if we can maybe take that as an example that a, a lot more people will understand, anyone that's used ChatGPT to do 
basic internet search will probably, I hope, realize that it's pretty dreadful at that. It tends to hallucinate (laughs) and it tends to, or even outright lie in some cases. When can that actually be an advantage rather than a, a potential banana skin? Are there cases when that can actually be beneficial? Yeah, definitely. So, so I think, again, it's understanding the sort of the right tool for the right job. So generative AI is an extraordinarily powerful assistant, an augmentation. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I want to write a policy. I need, a, I need a, you know, to write a sustainability policy around a particular category. Can you recommend what should be included within that? That's a brilliant question for, for ChatGPT. Can you give me the most up-to-date policy on sustainability in that is a terrible use of generative AI because they'll make one up, right? So that's, and I had a great conversation with some of the guys at IDC who were saying, no matter how many parameters, the, the initial thinking is, no matter how many parameters you train your generative AI model on, the hallucination is a feature, not a bug. So what it does is it's got a creative engine, right, which can really help you to do your job. But it, it as you mentioned, it isn't search, right? It can't, it can't find, the, uh, understand that the latest document you're looking for is 3.2.4, which supersedes 3.2.3. And not, so you need to be using this one. That's, that's not what generative AI does. And I've been quite worried, actually, with a, some of the client conversations I've had recently where they just think, we're just going to throw our knowledge base at it and job done, right? And, and then we, we don't have to worry about indexing or or, you know, data curation or any of the sort of the good old-fashioned disciplines which um, they've grown up with. And I think that's quite a dangerous um, uh, myth that's out there in the marketplace right now. I think there's a few million dollars going to get burned before people realize that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so having this tool at your fingertips, what you've developed is, you know, it's obviously a, a great advantage in terms of being able to get to your destination in a much shorter time, as you said, to get... Unlike John Bon Jovi, who's only halfway there, if you can get 80% of the way there, I had to get that one in. Um, if you can get 80% of the way there and then you just need a human to do the final 20%, that kind of then brings us back to the age old point that we, you know, that we always seem to come back on is then, okay, well, how can procurement then sell their added value to stakeholders. And we come across this time and time again, don't we, that how can procurement then, with the addition of technology and with the help of technology, how can something like a forestry assist procurement to become seen as being a more valued business partner? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think when we spoke before, I talked about my having come to procurement late, but having seen the business partnering conversations that were going on in the finance function, the HR function, you know, how do we get to be strategic advisors to the business? And having seen that sort of play out, it's interesting to come into the procurement conversation right now and think, I can see a whole number of parallels here. So, and there's maybe some different nuances. So one of the things that you're in, in, in procurement, we have this conversation we're talking about is, is how do we respond faster and more uh, with with better evidence back to the business? How, how can we outpace the business, right, in terms of our ability to understand the options that are available to them? And generative AI, AI is something sort of really powerful in that sense. If you're saying, give me some summaries, give me some ideas, you know, things that we might throw out there, then generative AI uses that really well. And it can augment the procurement function in terms of that, creating a richer conversation with the business. And I think that's really powerful. I'm also struck, however by how much the procurement function tends to think of technology as an automation tool, right? And it's, it's about cost out. 
it's about faster, more for less. And I kind of, and I think this is really interesting because because it's sort of I was hearing some CPOs having a conversation about you know how they're struggling to get the adoption of um, digital technologies within the procurement function. And I kind of think, well, if you stand outside and listen to that dialogue, it sounds a lot like you're asking turkeys to vote for Christmas. So I'd like you to run a project to deploy to make procurement a more technology orientated function, and that means you're going to sack a whole number of your colleagues. That's what good looks like. We'll do it. We'll have less procurement people doing with more output. And I don't think that's a particularly great sales pitch for adoption within an organization. I think the idea of thinking of this technology, and particularly the Gentrifier, as, as an augmenter, it's a superpower for the procurement advisor that gets them into that, that space where they can now provide really value-added and insightful sort of perspective to the business, I think is really is, is a real opportunity. But I think you have to think about this augmentation versus automation. It's, a, it's very different, right? So you, and I think you need to approach it in a different way and sell it in a different way. Don't you think they kind of both go together, though? So I was just going to say, I mean, I, I understand the angle that you're coming from, but I would almost split it into two segments. And I would say operational, transactional procurement, I think, is something that needs to be automated and, and will be automated over time. And, and I think that the strategic procurement or category management or procurement leadership roles shouldn't be involved in that anyway, but inevitably they do get involved in it because it's often outsourced to BPOs or the, the people that are doing it don't have the capability or the authority to, to, to deal with problems that get escalated. But if that, if that does get automated and we take out a lot of the human error, like, you know, accounts payable losing invoices or, uh, or something not getting updated in, 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 in an ERP system, that type of thing doesn't inevitably that will lead to the removal of certain entry level procurement function and i do think that i and i do think that that will be inevitable but surely that's something that we should be encouraging to enable someone at a more senior level you know functional expert in procurement to be able to have the time then to spend on something like developing and nurturing stakeholder relationships and then coming back to the original conversation with generative ai and how can that do a lot of the the spade work for the procurement manager in terms of getting them 80 percent of the way there to be able to to sort of have that data driven conversation isn't that where we need to get to so as the augmentation role that you're talking about the procurement manager at least does have some bandwidth to tackle that yes actually so i i agree and i think actually business partnering is impossible unless you get to that um like a smooth running operational base so there's no there's no point having a very strategic conversation when the basics don't work you know suppliers aren't getting paid as you say you know invoices are going missing we don't have effective records of who our suppliers are so I, I'm, I'm actually not arguing for that i'm saying there's two quite different approaches two lenses to apply to this one of which is you know what you want is silent running of the operational base that's really good and, and there's no way you can you can evolve no matter how good the other technology is you can't get to that business partnering you know strategic insight a conversation unless you've fixed the noise elsewhere. So I think there are two parts of it. I, I guess what I would suggest is that often procurement functions very much focus on automation. And then what do we do with the space? There's not a clear view in terms of how to use that sort of excess capacity and space. So you've got to do it in parallel. And I think to some extent, that's a bit well, to go back to what you alluded to at the beginning. This is why I sometimes see them as the Millwall FC of the uh, 
of the corporate <laughs> functions almost like we you know job is to be unpopular basically and you know who cares if we're not sort of if the business don't like us because we've got a job to do which is to squeeze the cost base and actually there's this they said i think it's very hard to to go on this journey without thinking of these two sides of it automation and augmentation that's the, the that's the building blocks to get you to that business partner um aspiration so for anyone that doesn't understand football <laughs> Who are Millwall FC and why does everyone hate them? <laughs> Millwall FC, I just they, they basically they've built a legend around themselves and the fan base, which is just they're just a desperately unpopular club, basically. But it's part of the kudos now, right? So it's part of it's part of how you get to belong if you support Millwall. It's like you're you're sort of you're standing out and saying, "I'm unpopular. I don't care. We do what we do," and that's that's the sort of our exceptionalism, basically. So that's the that's the football <laughs> analogy. I'm not saying, I think, frankly, that's. If Millwall FC had the budget of Man City, I don't think they'd really want to be that unpopular anymore. So I, I think it's uh, <laughs> making a virtue of necessity to some extent. But going back to that, though, do you think procurements on popularity in some organizations or, or, or apathy to work with procurement stems from the fact that procurement doesn't really understand or empathize with some of the priorities that lie there within the business? Or, or do you think it's just the fact that they're only being measured on cost savings, and that's what's driving them because that's what that's what ultimately they're they're assessed on. Yeah, I, I actually think it's a big part of it. The fact there's such a simple, easy set of metrics about cost out, you know, more for less. That that's it's measurable. Everyone understands it, and so it drives a certain sort of behaviour. I think the breakthrough, I think, for all of these business partnering aspirations across any function is pace. So the so you have to be faster than the business, right? So if the business says, I've got a problem around X, I need like a business problem to solve. I don't need a widget. I need, I need to understand how to solve a problem. Until the, f- the sort of support function is faster at providing the options and answers than the business, then the business partner thing doesn't quite work. You'll, en- you'll just end- always end up with this mishmash of, you know, you get procurement come to the party late, but the business has already moved on. They, they've bought a kind of a, a solution, maybe not the best one, and they've now, ran, you know, just tried to stuff it into a process because it, it fixes the problem for now. And I, it's the pace, and this is where I, I think, again, the really big opportunity for this sort of, um, uh, you know, to use these new tools, I think is really there. It's like how to understand how to deploy them, be faster, come back to the business before they've had the chance to break open Google and go off and sort of discover or go to a conference and discover kind of here's a way we might solve it or uh, pick up some random theories. I mean, my, my experience of corporate life is that um, there's so many kind of corridor random conversations that end up being implemented, sometimes for millions of dollars because, you know, the CEO walked, bumped into someone he knew and said, oh, this is a really cool tool. Why don't you, and why are we using this? You know, and the pressure comes yeah. down the chain and all of a sudden there's a, there's a project stood up and no one quite knows why. Um, but it's <laughs> but but something has to be seen to be done, right? And and until you can lead the pace of that conversation, random stuff is going to carry on getting done. That's I think that's just you know operational busy business people. They 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 just have to get things off their to do list. So can you maybe give us a few examples then of how generative AI could assist procurement into getting away from this? Very reactive or more cost-driven mindset, and uh, you know, as we alluded to, be be seen as more of a business partnering function and a, a and an internal, almost an internal consultancy that can leverage technology to to get us to the solutions of those problems faster. Yeah, well, I mean, I can obviously talk about the the type of work that 
we do for clients, or your clients do on our platform, um, in terms of understanding kind of how to how to navigate new categories, for instance. So, so you know, you're looking to kind of move. Maybe a good example would be for a distillery work with. You want to move on to onto a sort of the next step of your sustainability journey. In this case, it was some sustainable labeling. Okay, well. What is sustainable labeling? What types of sustainable labeling? Where does sustainable labeling get made? No one's got that on a shelf, right? So that report doesn't exist. So if you go have to stand up and, and come back to the business with options in terms of this is how we could go about it, that's where the sort of the, the technology, the AI that we can provide to clients is, is super valuable because you can say, I'm, I'm going to define something new. I'm going to decide, you know, what the scope of that category is. I'm going to decide geographically how, where I want to, where I want to find it. And I'm going to build that myself because actually as I find out more about it, I'm likely to change the parameters of my search. And that's not so that, so no one's going to build that report for me. I'm going to go and build that and then I can bring it back to the business and say, okay, I've got a comprehensive view of everything in this marketplace. We can now make some strategic decisions. We did something similar for one of the large retail banks, which is about um, you know, a technology category, which are they're trying to explore, which is really around voice to text technology and Okay, so voice to text technology is this call center stuff, there's customer care components, there's compliance components. So is this a horizontal capability across the bank? Or am I going to buy point solutions? And how can I make a recommendation to the business about how they, where they might go forward unless I understand what the entire category looks like? And then you can sort of start to, you know, this is it's very different in banking than it is in medicine, than it is in other industries. So you kind of got very strict parameters. You go and understand that. And then you can say, okay, I tell you what, Here's the innovation. Here's the sort of the really big players. Here's what they can do, what they can't do. And here's, you know, and, and here's the opportunities in terms of doing something which is one size fits all or just going point by point. But unless I've got a comprehensive view, I can't really give good advice on that, can I? And I've got a bunch of incumbent suppliers, most likely, that are saying, oh, my tool's the best. You know, and, and I, you know, they, and they can bend people's ears and say, yeah, no, no, we can sort of do that. So yeah, 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 no, why don't just stick with us? It'll, it's all going to be okay. Well, you've got no leverage, no negotiating power, no, in, no information advantage that you can take into that conversation. And that's, I think, where you kind of, you're going to get that, that trip from a sort of a, a go off and execute a process to a, let's have a really rich conversation about like what, what are genuinely our options, you know, and, and even our, within our options, what's mature, what's not mature, right? Is it, is this, how do we feel as an institution in terms of going for the, the bleeding edge versus the very well established? Let's, let's have a conversation. That's the richness I think you can bring to those, those conversations. So if I'm paraphrasing you a little bit, then it's kind of, it's getting you to the point where you can have a meaningful data-driven conversation a lot faster than you would have been able to previously. And if we go back even just 10, 15 years, that would have been Either a lot of googling or using these, uh, or, or using these directory websites, which are virtually useless because they're never kept up to date, or it would have been an expensive consultancy project, right? Because we're moving away from. If we go back, maybe a bit further, if you go back to the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, where typically you would have had a procurement manager that would have managed the same category of spend, perhaps for 10, 15, 20 years those subject matter experts, but not always, but in a lot of cases now are starting to retire. And typically most corporates, especially British, American corporates, tend to follow a policy of rotating their category managers and procurement professionals around different areas of spend every three or four years. And you get people coming into the profession now that are maybe experienced career professionals, but are not 
experienced category managers for the area of spend that they're coming into to manage. So technology nowadays in the way that procurement has professionalized and evolved as a as a function, the soft skills and some of the aspects around compliance and due diligence are now being viewed a lot higher than necessarily very deep specific category knowledge because we've got technology now that's able to do a part of that. I, I think so. I think there's a big macroeconomic driver as well. You know, they talk about, you know, polycrisis and, you know, the world of, a world of shocks. I think that's another driver. As you said, there's, a, there's a, a generational shift perhaps, but I think there's also very much an economic shift, which is it, we can't bank on stability, right? So this idea of optimization as the, as the goal always, as opposed to the responsiveness. You know, what, what do we do if, you know, we've got to shorten our supply chain. We've got to, you know, all of a sudden there are sort of, you know, we've, we've had the, the, the energy crisis, right? So certain commodities become really expensive to produce or certain supply chains get cut. How do you respond to that? Because it's, it's um, the tool set, I think, is changing along with the, um, with the generation. And I think the, my suspicion is, again, as an outsider, is that the, the basic architecture of a procurement function is going to change on that basis. I, I completely agree with you, uh, 100%. Uh, I, I think procurement will, at least in the forward-thinking organizations, I think in five to 10 years' time, the way that the function is, is, is structured in terms of the, the job descriptions and the, and the type of headcount that you're getting into it is going to be vastly different from how it looks now. I mean, I think even now, it's starting to look outdated in terms of what the business is asking for versus the you ask you ask procurement leaders in all of these surveys you know the biggest the biggest thing that they always speak about is we're we're, we're struggling to to attract and retain the right talent and is it because of salaries possibly to a certain extent but but also it's just a lot of career procurement people don't necessarily have the training and the skill set for what the biggest issues are now yeah, I think 100%, especially if you look across a, a diverse portfolio of what, as a department, procurement will need going forward. Yes, you will always need category managers with certain expertise, particularly in very complex categories like like, like IT or like packaging, where, you know, it's um, where, where category expertise is really, really relevant. But in some of the more generalist roles, when we talk to when we talk about things like business partnering and being seen as a valuable business partner, things like copywriting and and marketing and into influence and persuasion and just being able to understand and get involved in the objectives of the business and to be able to or even to just be able to lobby your CFO to get some budget for some tech. I think that's procurement procurement is terrible about that aren't they I mean you've you've probably come across it yourself as essentially as a every CEO is a salesperson right I mean you you, you I'm sure you've come across that when you've had a, a client that's interested but just can't find the budget to buy what you're selling them great yeah I, I I think this idea that kind of the the churn almost of categories obviously you kind of you know you you your, your direct spend on your products is kind of it we broadly consistent but it's but ESG is a great driver where you need to look not just at a sort of alternative supplies of the widget, you, you need to look at alternative ways of delivering the end, the outcome, right? And 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 so, so I think the speed or the, and the breadth, um, the agility that you'll need to demonstrate as a procurement function is just going to grow because the questions will be more varied and they'll come faster. And you know, so how do you respond to that? And as I said, and that's kind of a very interesting journey for us in Fall Street, sort of. So if you like wandering into that space and and so they oh right okay this is so it, you know 
it's not just technology research that's got that that issue. Every other, or every other piece is sort of, you know, this kind of business-to-business resource finding is just becoming more and more uh, urgent, uh, more and more diverse. And I think that's a real, uh, that's an interesting moment. It'd be interesting to see how people grasp it, right? Do they hunker down and say, we're okay, or uh, and we'll firefight when we need to? Or do we say, no, 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 we need to actually need to really rethink the, what's the portfolio we're looking after? How much of it is static? How much of it is moving? What, and what does that mean in terms of how we design the function, right? It's like, where, 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 and, and where, where does the function connect into the business? That was always a big problem with lots of the business partnering journeys is which part of the business are you trying to connect with and how? And, what's, and, and, and if you are, then think about the moments of truth. What are the moments of truth for a procurement? I, I don't know, but actually it's, it's a great exercise to think about, well, if you understand the moments of truth as in when you're really going to make a difference, then you kind of start to understand the technology and the capabilities you need to build in order to deliver on that. Indeed. And this area of technology that you're into, this generative AI space, it's a, it's a very, very fast-moving part of the technological space. So how do you evolve that? You know, I know one of, your, one of the things that you're, that, that you're really passionate about is perfection is the enemy of good. So, so how do you evolve your tool and constantly implement new technological features and, and, and adapt and grow with your customers in, in such a fast-paced environment? So we, we take a modular approach to everything, right? So, so, the, so the idea is that we would never bet the farm on just generative AI. So we apply it to a piece of process. So in some extent, you think about we take a vast amount of unstructured data and we turn it into structured data. And there's, and there's a bit, there's a sort of, there's a production line that sits between one end of that and the other. And each, produ- along the production line, there are different machines. And so we're always, we might take out a machine and replace it or test it. Um, but we, we're thinking about the surrounding kind of the QA around it. A great example would be asking chat GPT to give you examples of a particular uh, type of supply is quite good, right? But you might want to put next to that something which just does a sort of very old-fashioned check to make sure the website is real because it does make up stuff. So, okay, so it's quite good at creating chests. Put in a little check that says, can we just ping the website, make sure it's doing what, we, what ChatGPT is telling us, in which case you allow it to go into the next part of the production process. And all along that, that sort of that workflow, you're trying to think about how do I sort of get the best out of it, but also put the checks and balances to make sure that as, as the product goes to the next stage of its sort of, of engineering, that it's, that it's actually being improved and enhanced. And so that's the sort of, those are the sort of things that the smarts you can do around understand using something like uh, generative AI smartly. Uh, and then also understanding, as we were talking earlier on in the podcast, about what's the right tool for the right job, right? Is it, yeah, there are, there are some old, it's just some, you know, sad old fashioned, you know, process flows and gate technology, which do just as well. As, as the smartest, you know, generative AI algorithm. That's, that's something you just got to think about what's the risks, rewards, and, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the nature of the product in terms of how absolutely reliable does it have to be? Again, think about it in our earlier context, which was very good at idea generation, a great assistant researcher, sort of suggestive of ideas, but not, as someone found to their cost recently, a lawyer. They're persuasive, but they're wrong, right? So, so that's a you know that, that's a great a great way of sort of um, of uh, divining what's what's a good application. So, just conscious of the time and and about to wrap this up. So, before I ask people where they can find you if they want to learn more about the solution, what would be the one tip that you would give to the listeners if they were looking at exploring this 
as a general theme of something that they wanted to bring into their business, but they didn't really know where to start? What what due diligence should they be doing on the supply base or or how can they inform themselves a, a little bit more around, as you say, the strengths, but also the limitations of this type of technology? Um, so I think there's there's a there's a flood of information about there, and I think it's it's worth taking the sort of the the different perspectives. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. There are people that are evangelists. There are people that are sort of completely down on this new generation of technology. I think I, my my guidance is to is to force yourself to read both ends of that argument because neither of them are right, but they've all got valuable things to say. So I think it's a, at the moment I'd. I'd um, I'd get out of it, whatever echo chamber you're in, I'd get out of it and listen to someone else's opinion on it because it'll at least frame it in a way which is, uh, give you some clues about, okay, I can see how this might solve some problems in my business. And then actually, the great thing about these new generation of tools is they're super easy just to do the sort of, to do the fairly light testing on. You can go out there, experiment, ask questions, iterate, and then, and then, you know, get a sense of actually, before I go and talk to my boss and say, I've got a really good idea, make sure that you're confident that you've, you, you know, you've really got something which has got legs. I, I think that's the, the way to do it. But it's, it's the volume of stuff that's out there is, is, is phenomenal and I'd make use of it. Awesome. So final question, David. Um, so we did a live demo actually with 4Street back in February, which is on our YouTube channel. And I'll link to that in the show notes for anyone that's listening, if you want to just get a bit of a look and feel of how 4Street looks. But otherwise, where's the best place for people to reach out to you, David, if they'd like to learn more? Yeah, 4Street.com, info at 4Street. We're all here. We're a small team. And um, what we love to do is test cases. Give us something with meaningful challenges behind it and that's that's a, that's a great if people want to test the platform it's a great way to do it do a live or a legacy test we love to be benchmarked fantastic david thank you for joining me been a pleasure and always interesting for me when i learn from my guests and every day's a school day in this case because i know very little about this space so thanks for coming on pleasure thank you very much So that was generative AI and how it can benefit you and what the potential limitations are in the procurement space. Thank you very much for listening to the show. There are a lot of procurement podcasts out there these days. So I'm very, very pleased that you've chosen to put us into your earballs today. And don't forget, if you like what you've heard, then please go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts so as we can help to reach more people. Until then, we will catch you the same time next week. Until then, take care and bye for now.